Hello and welcome to the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast. This podcast is designed to empower you with the knowledge to live a healthy and happy life, to banish the years of yo-yo dieting, heal your relationship with food, make lifelong changes to your health by learning evidence-based nutritional techniques with self-compassion, mindfulness and behaviour change to feel more accepting and confident both in your mind and your body. We'll likely be adding a little bit of feminism, some sass and some humour along the way. I hope you enjoy and thank you for tuning in. Hello everyone and welcome to the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast. Today is such a special episode and one I am really excited and completely honoured about. We have a fabulous guest joining us to talk about ADHD and all the things that the fitness industry get wrong about ADHD. We have Steph from ETPHD coaching. Steph is an ADHD and disordered eating coach herself in the evidence-based space. I originally met Steph some level up events ago and a huge fan of hers in fact I remember talking to you in the coffee shop about what we were going to get for lunch and I was like oh my god I'm really really nervous here <laughs> um and Steph is a, a former performer from the West End and worked around the world for 10 years on stage having found intense pressure from the roles to fit in the thin ideal and be smaller Steph has been through her own journey with body image and food relationship and now specializes in helping people with a holistic approach to their health and well-being Steph is a qualified and certified ADHD coach EIQ nutritionist training counselor full of knowledge and so much character let me tell you so much character she's genuinely brilliant um, predominantly works with neurodivergent people. So who better to have on the podcast than Steph to talk about this ever-growing subject in the fitness industry? So welcome, Steph. And thank you so much for joining us. That is probably the best introduction I've ever had in my life. Like, yes. I'm glad this is recorded because I might just listen to it again. When I'm feeling <laughs> low, I'll be like, show me what, I'm going to listen to that podcast episode. Thank you so much for that. I mean, I'm going to, I don't know, I might... Um, this might be an anticlimax now. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm all right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, genuinely, I am a big fan. And it is a complete and complete honour. And like I said, when I watched you at Level Up, I was like, this girl is incredible. And your character, such a vibe, such a vibe. So no, you deserve that intro. Thank you. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I did. I actually do remember meeting you in the coffee shop. Like, obviously, we saw each other before the coffee shop, but I do remember talking to you. And I remember looking at you, going, thinking, like, you know, when you know someone from social media, and you're like, oh yeah, they know me, I know them, and then you realise I've actually not introduced myself. Like, how weird. Like, we're just talking, but we've not actually gone. Oh hi. Um, yeah, it's weird, but I think because we're all part of like a similar group of people and community like EIQ um it's it's so nice that we've got like people like this that we can just like chat to and go on each other's podcasts etc it's um so yeah I'm honestly honored to be here and thank you so much for like inviting me and also I've been really looking forward to it no it's I'm absolutely buzzed about it especially because like ADHD seems to be spoken about a lot at the minute um especially on TikTok and people are like self-diagnosing and stuff so I thought do you know what let's get somebody on who actually knows what they're talking about to bring about the evidence. And I think I was talking to another client about this last night who is going through his own journey with potential diagnosis. 
And he was like, sometimes I just want a bit of clarity and understanding because when you Google it, when you look on social media, there is quite a lot of misinformation, quite a lot of nuance out there. It's like, well, what do I believe and what do I not believe? What is correct? What is not correct? Who should I be following? Who should I be following? So you should be following Steph. Um, So to just help with understanding, because I'm a key advocate of understanding, to just help people feel a little bit more at peace and at calm with themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's obviously there's so much information. Well, I say there's so much information. I think there is a lot, there's an increased awareness of ADHD, which is fantastic. And yes, let's be honest, it's kind of on TikTok, it's on Instagram. Um, and I I actually am part of the camp of I actually think it's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, can it, of course, be a bit problematic at times? Yes, like everything can. Um, but t- to be honest with you, it's still quite an under-researched topic, especially for like women um you know people that I work with people and they've got into their 30s and they've just got diagnosed into their 40s they've just got diagnosed into their 50s um so you know I don't think there's enough conversation but you know this is kind of my sort of area where I like to talk about it and even I'm saying that and wherever you get your information I feel you know I could say this probably now and I'll go into a little bit more about the medical description of ADHD but I want to say this if you have, you know, seen a video and seen a few videos and it's kind of um, created a bit of curiosity, like, don't be ashamed of that. You know, to be honest with you, like self-diagnosis leads to diagnosis. And sometimes we, we don't know where we get that information. And of course, with Instagram and social media, there's videos that kind of go around, but these ADHD say, let's, let's call them content creators, they, they they're clever they know what they're doing they're trying to get your interest because that's that you're their target market mm-hmm. so in a way um I'm I'm not gonna say you know don't believe what you see of course there's so many videos out there that aren't helpful but if that video has led you to a conversation with a friend to a relative to then having a conversation with a medical professional I think it can be quite helpful um I'm sure there's going to be people out there that disagree with me, but I don't really care, actually. I think it's, I I honestly believe the increased awareness is is brilliant. I think the same can be said as well, Steph, uh, things like emotional eating, right? Because a lot of the time people don't know that they're emotional eating or they don't know that they're stress eating. So if you see a video online and it's like, okay, your stress response is really high and you're swinging by the shop on the way home and you're grabbing chocolate it's not the chocolate that's the problem potentially your stress eating so like you said i i like the reframe there of inviting the curiosity to then help them explore themselves and their potential then diagnosis going forward but bringing about that curiosity i think first and foremost with every area of life when there is so much information out there but also when topics and things aren't spoken about enough like emotional eating like adhd to then help people with a little bit more understanding yeah. And do you know what? No one actually diagnoses themselves with ADHD by watching a video. No one goes, oh, yeah, I lost my keys once before. Oh, I've seen a video. It was really funny. Oh, that's me. Oh, I've got ADHD. Like, no one does that. So I just want to say that out loud. So people, like neurotypical people that are kind of maybe eye-rolling about the whole videos that might be, like, in our algorithm right now, I promise you, no one that is genuinely self-diagnosing themselves with ADHD is doing it via a video. No, absolutely not. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your own personal journey and your own journey with ADHD, how you became to having a diagnosis? 
So I'll go into like the medical description of it. So the clinical term is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, to make it very complicated, there are different types. So we've got inattentive, we've got hyperactive, impulsive, and then we've got combined. Then let's add another layer. We've got modifiers. So we've got mild, we've got moderate and severe. And then to add into the mix, uh, ADHD often comes with co-occurring conditions. So things like sleep disorders, anxiety, depression, dyslexia, like learning disabilities. And it is a, de um, a developmental disorder. So that means it affects a person's like physical, cognitive, emotional and social development. So again, we, we all kind of have ADHD traits, um, but the difference is, um, it, like I say, it really has an, a massive effect on a person's like cognitive emotional physical health and that might have gotten the way at school it might have gotten the way in your relationships currently in the workplace um you may describe yourself as someone that just doesn't kind of not necessarily fit in but you just don't roll with the world that we're in like neurotypical standards and all of that and what i will say as well it's it has got a different representation from child to adult from adult to adult, from gender to gender, even from, you know, the same gender, like we're talking about something like really deeply personal and the medical description of it doesn't, I would say, describe the experience of it. Um, and this is why a lot of, you know, women go under the radar, like people are inattentive type because a lot of their symptoms are internalized. So, you know, if you have hyperactive uh, type, you're as a woman, you're more likely to get your diagnosis, but inattentive type is still, you know, still just going under the radar. Um, so, yeah, so I guess, you know, not talking so much about myself today, but what I will say about myself is, I have Googled bipolar, I've Googled speech disorders, I've Googled mood disorders, um, I've, I've Googled like underactive thyroid because of energy, like it affects so many things that you think, what is what is wrong with me? Um, so, you know, if you're someone out there, again, I'm not in a position to diagnose anybody, but I'm just trying to normalise the fact that you may have tried to find an answer to something and actually when we think about it, ADHD, um, once you, you know, speak with that healthcare professional or you do your own research, again, I'm a big advocate for self-diagnosis, you probably will understand that it probably is ADHD as well. Um, but on that note, I think what I, I spoke in actually the Level Up talk, something that I like to use is the VAST model. So attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, it sounds quite... Um, well, it's got a lot of bias to it, a lot of weight to it. And the VAST model is basically, it's um, um, it was made by a guy called Dr. Edward Hallowell, who I really rate. He's uh, really great. Um, and he uses the VAST model. So it's variable attention stimulus traits. And it basically, um, it looks at it as something that you can manage and it's kind of reframing of the issue because VAST and AD, or if you want to call it ADHD traits, they exist on a continuum and this is going to change continuing continuously throughout life circumstances and that's why I like the VAST model because it kind of leads with the strength first and it's not leading with the impairment first um so unfortunately like the medical description it it doesn't like I say it doesn't really describe the experience of it so that's why there's so much misinformation out there from generation to generation that's why you know maybe your parents parents or even your parents might be like of course you don't have ADHD you were really good in school or of course you don't have ADHD you were you know you're well behaved um it's got a lot of 
um, negative connotations attached to it. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things you just said then, touching base on thyroids, Googling bipolar, I can imagine that in itself was really, really challenging. And then for gen population, seeing all of this information online and then Googling everything, I can, yeah, 100% see why that can feel quite consuming for people. And especially if you've got generations around you telling, you know, you're fine, don't worry about it. We see this, right, with eating disorders, like people telling, you know, don't not, don't worry about things, just get on with it, you're all right. And actually, we're all somewhat suffering to an extent here. So the self-diagnosis, again, coming back to that, brilliant, absolutely brilliant to just give you that clarity. So how did you go about like your own diagnosis? Was that self-diagnosis or was that like, seeing a medical doctor yeah so mine my journey today like I don't, it's not something that you know I, I always like to kind of share too much about because I don't think it's relevant in my work but I what I will say is like self-diagnosis is valid and how you know I how I've gone about it is I've dug really into the research um and got into many rabbit holes spoken to many healthcare professionals psychologists etc etc and you know here I am today and I guess what I you know you end up becoming the coach that you needed it's a bit like how I got into the body image and disordered um, eating realm is I guess now I'm like okay there's another string here this is another reason why this may have happened to me Um, and also now looking at my my uh, family medical history and going oh this makes a lot of sense (laughs) hey dad and hey cousins like oh right okay (laughs) like high five um it makes a lot of sense when you kind of I mean if you have access to medical history which I can talk about probably later but um you know all of those things and that contribute to you getting an actual medical diagnosis are, are quite important so what I would say is if you're in a position where you're not you haven't got your medical diagnosis yet but you're pretty sure um from what you've what you know just gather as much information as you can with your own symptoms because we can talk about this again about like working memory and the difficulty of of like trying to retract information it can be quite hard sometimes and unpredictable so when you're trying to gather information you know write it down so when you go see that specialist you have this long long list of things and obviously they're um they will uh, go through you know an extensive process with you um to kind of get to the bottom of it but um but yeah, I think like you said at the start of the podcast, like that understanding, like I think we we'll, we both obviously can, um, we, we practice what we preach here, what we, we learn and we understand about something to help other people. And I think if you want to help yourself, like let's learn and get curious about ourselves first. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I really do. And it's like a light bulb moment. And you see this for so many people, don't you? And they've got that little bit of understanding coming away from the blueprint that's pushed in society that actually you can then reconnect back to your body and understand a lot more and help help going forward with healthful behaviours, should we say. So one of the things that you mentioned at Level Up and it stuck with me the whole time, I don't know why this one thing has stuck with me, that the ADHD brain is different to that of an individual without ADHD. And the analogy you used at Level Up was about the director and the execution of the script and like I said, that's really stuck with me. I don't know why it stuck with me, but I loved it. And things like that, I was like, okay, that that makes now that I understand in terms of being able to put those processes together in my brain, how I'm able to do that. So in, in ADHD, somebody with ADHD, they're not able to do so. Do you want to go into that a little bit more detail? Yeah, so 
I'm so pleased actually that that like stuck with you I'm like yes winning at life you are <laughs> winning because that was winning. great <laughs> winning at life um no I'm really pleased about that but yeah basically so the brain of someone with ADHD is biologically different than someone without um so executive function so someone with ADHD will suffer with executive dysfunction and executive functions are housed in the frontal lobe of the brain and basically this matures at a much slower rate than a neurotypical person and what lives in that part of the brain are things like working memory time management um how you process information organization planning forethought regulation of emotions like you know quite a lot going on in there and this is like the cognitive and mental ability to enact goal orientated action so neurotypical people and obviously I'm talking very generally generally today because you know as much as we can go into nuances generally speaking um I can't go into every every person um but basically neurotypical people generally can transition seamlessly between wanting to do something and then doing it um but for ADHD minds there can be like a bit of a gap between the two and this is where I see things go wrong so the director analogy was if you think as a neurotypical person you have a director in the frontal lobe and that director has a script every day and they you know you wake up you kind of follow the script you go to sleep you wake up you follow the script you go to sleep and let's say you wake up you follow your script but something out of the blue happens that director is able to you know seize that problem and then come back to the script now if you have um well if you're neurodivergent how i view it again this isn't this is just a my analogy here uh your your director is there but the director doesn't have a script so it's very easy to get sort of lost in your mind or lost and in distraction or feeling that loss of control feeling not in power feeling vulnerable um and it's you know when something out of the blue happens it can be really hard to kind of pick up and prioritize what you need to do to get you know through the day or through that moment um so I like to use that a little bit because it's it's really not a knowledge problem or an intellect problem or a laziness problem it's a performance problem it's performance dysregulation so it's a dysregulation of attention a dysregulation of motivation and you know at the back of the brain that's where we acquire knowledge at the front of the brain is more like like I say goal orientated action so it, it kind of grinds my gears a little bit when I guess because it's still a little bit under research and still people aren't really that aware of ADHD, even though we've just spoken about TikTok for for a little while, um, when people are sort of saying, like, you know, just do it. Like, well, cool. I think they know that they need to do it. It's a part of like getting them to do it. That's the hardest thing. Um, So, yeah, that's that's kind of the director analogy, really. That's quite undermining as well, isn't it? Just do it. Just get on with it. Yeah. Like it's that easy. And I, I guess that must come with a lot of frustration that you must see with a lot of your clients and, and in yourself and people that you speak to in um who are neurodivergent. Like, yeah, well, I, I I know I need to get on with it, but I'm struggling to put two and two together to be able to get on with it. So then the frustration that comes. So the the symptoms that tend to come up, you mentioned things like emotional dysregulation. What are the main symptoms that are that of ADHD? Um, oh, how long have we got? 
Um, (laughs) Obviously, like we've mentioned about seven times already, like it is very individual, but I would say like I'd call them the big main characters. Um, We've got executive dysfunction, as I've just said. So that's things like organisation problems, zoning out, overwhelm, lateness, forgetfulness, um, hyper-focusing. Then, yes, we've got emotion dysregulation, and I call it like the on-off switch where we 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 may sort of describe ourselves as someone that goes from zero to 100 quite quickly. Um, you might get distracted by your own environment or your own thoughts, especially if, like, you're in an inattentive type. Um, you know, outwardly, we're not, you know, causing, quote-unquote, chaos, but inwardly, we feel it. Um, there's something called rejection sensitivity, which isn't in the diagnostic criteria, but uh, psychologists, psychiatrists are now pushing this to sort of be in that um, criteria. But that's basically extreme reactions to rejection or perceived rejection. And that manifests in sort of self-monitoring behaviours um, and high expectations of yourself. So, you know, we all get feedback from time to time, whether it's at school, whether it's in the workplace, from our friends, from our relationships. Um, so this is where, you know, you feel this intense um, feeling. Um, you you actually do experience more intense feelings than your neurotypical friends. And actually, when I was doing my training, what I actually found interesting and stuck with me, um, again, it's not a competition, but when it comes to bipolar, obviously we think of the, the mood sort of swings, right? And the intense feelings. But apparently um, ADHD feelings are felt more greatly than those of uh, bipolar, which I think, you know, on the surface probably sounds quite surprising because I think bipolar has that, uh, I guess, that... I think it's the expectation of it, right? Exactly. The description of it, you're like, oh, they must feel things really intensely. But actually, you know, people with ADHD or ADHD people, I should say, because a lot of people don't like it when people say people with ADHD, um, they they experience like really intense feelings, which we we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't ignore that. Um, But yeah, I would say think of it as a, like I said before, like an attention and self-regulation disorder and if you want to sort of go into sort of like describing who you are as a person, you may describe yourself as someone who feels like all the motivation one minute and then, you know, extreme burnout the next. Um, you, m- you may find you move in out of like regulated and dysregulated states across the day. So you may feel, you know, you, you wake up, you feel maybe overwhelmed because you've seen a few text messages and you've got decision fatigue. Then you feel curious and you maybe go through a creative stage, an energetic stage, but then you might feel overstimulated and exhausted. So, it, it, you know, it's not just something that happens over a span of the week. This happens every day. And that's another thing I would say. Sorry, I keep talking about bipolar in this, but it's just I do find it quite fascinating. Um when because there's such a, a lack of understanding with ADHD when when it comes to like the mood side of things um one way to kind of differentiate between bipolar and ADHD again I'm not here to diagnose anyone today but bipolar mood swings last longer whereas ADHD it's very short and there's normally a trigger for it whereas bipolar there's not necessarily a trigger so that's something else that I think is quite interesting and, and you know to add to information I guess. Now that's really interesting about the bipolar. No, absolutely. One of the things you mentioned is the dysregulation, right? The emotional dysregulation. And one of the things that I see with clients that I work with in terms of like overeating, emotional eating is that of emotional dysregulation, right? So is there any link therefore between eating disorders and ADHD or is it that ADHD can present some red flags in eating disorders or disordered eating behaviors because of the symptoms? 
Yeah, so there's there's kind of some truth into that. So what I will say is not not every ADHD person will have an eating disorder, and just like you know, people with eating disorders won't have ADHD. However, um, there is four times higher rate of an eating disorder with ADHD, and it's normally yeah. So this uh, obviously I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. This searched, um, and it's usually binge eating disorder or bulimia. So yes, there's some truth to that, but again, I don't want to make this blanket statement uh, to say like, yeah, you know, you're um you've got ADHD and you've got an eating disorder as well or you know yes more common to have disordered eating problems absolutely yeah yeah and I guess that comes back down to that emotional dysregulation on a heightened scale to that of somebody without ADHD yeah exactly wow that that's really interesting four times as well so what from what I know is there's less neurotransmitters especially dopamine with ADHD am I right in saying that yeah, so dopamine is like a common neurotransmitter that we kind of know um, that's involved in the brain's reward system. So in ADHD people, there may be differences in how the brain responds to these rewards. Um, and, you know, this includes food as well. Um, and this could potentially like lead to like a heightened sensitivity to rewarding stimuli. So, of course, food is stimuli in a way. Um, so think of like highly palatable foods. So that might increase like the likelihood of like cravings for for these types of foods. But I will stress this again, like not every ADHD person will have the same relationship with food and other factors like food environment and you know personal preferences will obviously play a role in that. Um, but yeah, so a lot of <laughs> a lot of ADHD uh or a lot of information about ADHD is like, you know, you're a sugar addict and all of that. And if you break it down there is a bit of truth to it but it's not I don't I just hate the labeling of it I don't like you know yeah you're gonna you it's a bit like you know when we talk about the menstrual cycle and you know in this phase you're gonna feel like rubbish and you must do this it's like not everything you read is going to be you know written for you it's just a consideration yeah absolutely I mean I have no libido around my time of ovulation yet the research tells me I should have (laughs) Exactly. Sometimes the research can do one. <laughs> yeah, thanks. See you later. Bye. <laughs> um, so I guess the, that then impacts the reward from food, right? Um, does that impact the impulsivity that you then potentially or somebody with ADHD is struggling with, like the reaction if they're getting this dopamine or more dopamine or more reward? So if I like had a hobnob as, as an example, how would that differ between somebody with ADHD if they were struggling with their food relationship? Well, this is where I would personally look at food environment. So, you know, instead of thinking of of yourself as someone that's like, oh, I'm addicted to hobnobs, maybe you could say to yourself, like take the moral value out of it, say to yourself, okay, maybe I'm just someone that is, you know, I prefer to have foods readily available to me. If it's in my view, I probably am going to eat it. Um, That's not actually a problem. It's just with, especially with ADHD, um, out of sight, out of mind is kind of the thing. So, you know, when it comes to helping healthful habits, having things like certain uh, vegetables or fruit at the front of the cupboard or the fridge, whatever, that's going to be really helpful for you. Um, But yeah, so I don't like this kind of narrative of like you must avoid these foods it's like no we just need to make sure we're creating supportive action to have more nutrient dense foods around us rather than you need to avoid the hobnob um of course if, if you've always got a hobnob on your desk like 
you probably are going to to want to have it so yeah and obviously when we're lacking that stimulation from time to time we call it stimming with food so that's kind of linked with emotional eating and boredom eating so we, we want to get a bit of you know stimulant stimuli from anything and food is is a natural thing that we can get that feeling from um yeah don't know if that's answered that question but that's kind of how I view it absolutely yeah but then I think as well as you were just saying that even if I had hobnob on my desk mm-hmm. I would want a hobnob you know and I think we overlook the environment neurodivergent or not that the environment is really important right in which we we live in especially the inclusivity of a diet but what you were saying then in terms of the environment with somebody who has potentially got ADHD is there potentially room for I don't like the word but like rules to be put in place whereby it's like no this fruit like your fruit is here and the chocolate is three cupboards up would that support somebody with ADHD more so if you're like we're not removing the food out of the house as an example well I've got another analogy for you you oh go on then this one's gonna stick this one I hope this one sticks and yeah so okay we if you think of ADHD as water the the brain is like water uh without structure water becomes a bit of a puddle and it becomes scattered okay to in order for water to move from you know move forward we need a container we need to have structure in place to movers and guiders yeah so when I work with someone with ADHD I'm not subscribing to the narrative of just eat intuitively just you know whatever food freedom like of course we we are reducing your preoccupation with food we're working on your relationship with food you can have a great one however we also need to make sure we've got cues in place so bringing it back to the director analogy we want to make sure that you know you're cueing yourself appropriately to remove barriers to then help you with your food to help you with your exercise to help you with your daily management of arousal and self-regulation so to, I guess I'm, I don't know if I am answering the question or not there definitely needs to be some sort of nutrition guidelines or guidelines in general whether you want to call it gentle nutrition guidelines however you prefer <laughs> that language whatever but you don't want really to look at it as rules but you want to know you know you want to experiment I would say um for some people there's research about like exercising early in the day can really improve executive function and long-lasting effect of dopamine um so you know you may be someone that goes right I've got I've got big meetings in the afternoon I've got to be really on it with my job I'm going to help myself with you know making sure I'm moving my body earlier on in the day um so you know you can be really clever and you can um you can use what you know and make it work for you and that's when that's why I love one-to-one coaching because I can get really like individual and specific and it might look so random for someone else. It doesn't matter. It's about you. It's about what works for you. So giving yourself that container and like say, not to, not to like describe yourself as a puddle, which I realise. I like that. But you know, like if you think, I definitely would describe myself as a puddle some days. I scatter everywhere, but if I give myself some support I can actually move a bit forward and move with some momentum and yeah energy and all of that so I don't know I hope you like that one (laughs) I do like that one absolutely I think again it comes back to that understanding doesn't it and aligning your own actions to the the knowledge that you have about yourself Mm -hmm. and I know some of the things that I see when clients come through with me who aren't neurodivergent they 
try and fit into this sort of like narrative that they believe from diet culture that they should miss breakfast, you know, if they overate the night before, or they need to track all of their calories meticulously, or they need to bank calories in order to give themselves permission to go out and eat. Whereas what you just said then was like, no, explore yourself, understand your own needs, understand your own body, understand what's going to work for you around your commitments irrespective of whether you're neurodivergent or not that is optimal right for longevity of your health and well-being so I absolutely love that one of the things that I see with a friend that I've got in particular she is neurodivergent Mm -hmm. and she forgets to eat Uh, Mm -hmm. she goes quite a long period of time without eating but then can find herself overeating is that something that you tend to see? Because I see it with, with clients, of course, they may go all day without eating and, and they haven't got ADHD, but then that is the same struggle with the, them overeating at night. But it's not necessarily that they're forgetting to eating, it's, it's that they haven't got time, as an example. Like, yeah. Kind of so, working through that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many crossovers. Like, that's one thing. Before I get into that, um when I work with ADHD people like I'm not going right you're ADHD so this is these are the rules we apply to you like I go okay here's some considerations to make like I just said um but of course there's going to be so many similarities with a neurotypical person like at the end of the day we're all human beings there's going to be some similarities there but yes to answer what you mentioned about your friend like typically forgetting to eat is extremely common uh this can be for sort of main reasons are hyper focus which um so basically that's where like oh, I've just seen a magpie sorry I've got to salute it I don't know if you're superstitious like me but I've just saluted Steph I'm obsessed with magpies obsessed my husband thinks I'm a lunatic if I only see one as well it like ruins my day I've got to do this, I've got to do the chant in my head so I don't have bad luck today there we go I'm so sorry I've had to do that um anywho that's my brain can you see scatter brain over here anywho right water yeah. Water brain over here. Um, yeah, so hyperfocus basically is you know where kind of in its name, like where you're really focused on that task. It might be you're reading something, it might be in a conversation, all of that. And what happens is we we aren't really that in tune with our internal cues. Um, so it's really easy, especially if you think of ADHD as like a nerve, an interest-based nervous system. So if you're interested in something, you know, it, it can really consume you. So that's where you might find people do forget to eat because of the hyper-focus. Um, you can also, uh, with time blindness as well, so their concept of time can be a bit off. Um, it might You might in your head be like, right, it's going to take me like 20 minutes to do that, but actually it takes you 40 minutes. So the timings kind of, you know, interfere with each other and obviously distraction. Uh, what I would say as well about forgetting to eat and just sort of like delayed eating in general is um, you might have... Uh, a lack of appetite due to the medication that you're on so these medications primarily work uh, increasing the levels of certain like neurotransmitters like dopamine in the brain um which helps improve like self-control and stuff but <laughs> annoyingly some of the medication can build your sense of hunger but what I like to remind clients is the the reason you're taking the medication is to support like for example executive function um and alertness and all of that so if you're going to under eat let's say you're not actually supporting your medication so this is where we go right let's eat to practical hunger um and there's other ways that we can recognize hunger in the body that isn't just in the stomach you know uh, for some people like these are the things i would talk about with clients 
you know, maybe your hands are a little bit trembly, maybe you're feeling irritated, maybe you're experiencing brain fog, uh, maybe you just looked at the time and gone, oh my god, it's been four hours, I've not eaten anything, or the whole afternoon's gone, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a time to eat, even though you're checking in with hunger, and you're like, well, I don't feel hungry, you know, that's where we want to look at other sort of um, symptoms, if you want to call it symptoms, of hunger. So yeah, so in that, to answer your question, yes, it's extremely common. And it's one, one of the things that I would say I work with uh, clients initially with, yeah. And is it, again, maybe things like putting in reminders, timers, like yeah. that like, gentle nutrition that you just mentioned, but making it more consciously uh, uh, aware, more available? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, we can look at creating a schedule. So uh, with coaching, when I sort of like work with people, I look work with them like week to week, as in we've got a bit of a weekly agenda. And I think a lot of you know coaches do work like that. But with ADHD, I probably break it down more. So I'm looking at day to day. Um, you know, like we all talk about daily process goals and how that can over time get you to your goal. So with ADHD, to kind of remove the noise that is often felt in the brain, we go, right, what what's our non-negotiable today? What can I do to remove one barrier to help me support this? And maybe at the start of working with a coach or, you know, if you're you're doing this yourself, maybe it's the, the nutrition side of things that is the problem. So we want to look at creating that structure and that time frame of meals where possible and trying to stick to it as possible using like visual cues and these these things are going to sound a bit silly but like placing like visual reminders maybe it's a whiteboard maybe it's a sticky note maybe it's like a meal plan in front of the fridge like you know we are visual beings ADHD minds are visual beings we we want to we like to see things so having things like that around us is going to help prompt us and something that always makes people go eye roll is setting alarms now the alarm in itself like when I say setting alarms I mean setting alarms to you know go to eat the alarm isn't going to make you go eat but what it is what it does do it brings you to your attention of like okay I need to make a choice right now I've got an alarm here and it's just gone off have I eaten no this is a cue to go eat I've got to choose whether I listen to that or I don't. It's not a cue, right? That means automatically I'm, you know, going to go eat. But it automatically gives you the choice. And it's whether you listen to that or not. And and that's where you make that choice of, can I do something supportive for me right now? Um, So I do actually think alarms are quite useful. And also things like, you know, we're talking about coaching, but like having an accountability partner. So like your actual, you know, if you're in a relationship, um, you know, talk about these struggles, maybe they can text you, maybe they can remind you um, or a friend, a, a parent, whatever, whoever's, you know, you're close to accessible for you. Having an accountability partner can be so helpful in so many areas, like in so many departments, not just like regulating food throughout the day. Um, so they're kind of things I would, you know, from a, from a general perspective um I would try to add in yeah absolutely and I was just thinking to myself then as you were saying alarms I roll my Alexa every day at six o'clock tells me to get off my tea there we go see sure then I finish work because if not I'll just sit on my laptop all night like working oh. but I really like that and even with my clients if we're trying to like curate a pause we'll have sticky notes around like pause mm. and, and I, I think again it's that massive crossover but I love what you're saying throughout the entire the entire podcast here it's reframing everything 
to empower yourself, empower mm-hmm. yourself to take action, to work with this. Because a lot of the time when I've spoken to people, they're like, oh God, yeah, I've got ADHD. As if it's like a real negative, but actually what you're doing and the incredible work that you're doing is actually no, helping support people feel liberated by what they, by what they can do with this sort of, well, this neurodivergent, right? Mm. I think... What, what I would say, especially if you're listening to this podcast and you're, you, you know, you're trying to help yourself, like experiment with yourself. Part of like we've we've mentioned the word understand today. We've mentioned the word curiosity. Um, what about the word experiment? So think about like when we think of experiments, what we're doing is we're collecting data. We're trialing different things. We can then gather that data and then we don't judge it. You don't judge data. But if you're someone that's like, oh, I'm going to fail, that's kind of attaching you know, again, a bit of a bias to it. It's really hard to move past it. Whereas if you reframe it as like, I'm experimenting and I do that with clients all the time. I'm like, right, we're going to experiment this week. We're going to do this. Let's see what happens. Sometimes, obviously, with consistency, there needs to be an element of consistency for it to kind of, you know, become a, ha- um, a habit and a pattern. But I'm also a believer for, for certain types of people. We remove the pressure. We remove that. Remember, we're talking about people that, do feel a bit like a failure day to day so when we use words like experiment I think it can really just go yeah you know what I'm not like you so I'm going to do this my way and actually that is okay and I think that's a massive thing um because like I say the self-doubt the self-monitoring behaviors the masking that's involved with ADHD and sometimes well actually and autism as well um you know you end up becoming this person and you're not showing up in the world in the way that you want to be and that's the most frustrating thing as a person and especially when you on on Instagram and it's like live with your value uh, live in line with your values it's like what what are my values I've been like trying to fit in and be neurotypical for so long I don't even know what I like I don't know what energizes me um I don't know, you know, sorry, that's a big passionate thought tangent there. And I do go on many, so I'm trying not to talk too much here. But basically what I'm saying is like experimenting is is something that we should um, advocate. And it's not something that, you know, and you really it's really hard to think of yourself as a failure when you you use that and to you to like propel you forward. Um, Because then, like I say, you just gather data and you see what sort of sticks for you. Yeah, I think we all need to get better at experimenting. Mm-hmm. experimenting in all areas of life creativity nutrition fitness I think too often we all do just follow the wild expectations in society right but actually when you can start experimenting on your own personal level then you break away from this narrative like you said I'm a failure I can't mm-hmm. do this this is all this is rubbish you know instead actually looking at it through a clear lens that you put on yourself mm-hmm. and loading up your tool belt in a very beneficial but also subjective way yeah exactly that um so I've seen interestingly on TikTok um I only got TikTok before this like I don't do TikTok do you do TikTok um yeah well yes I've dabbled in a bit of TikTok in my life yes (laughs) I tried it about a year ago actually when I worked with ESG and she was like yeah you need to get TikTok and post your reels on TikTok I was like I am not a TikTok person I can't do that um but I got it before we we chatted and there was some people on there saying avoid ultra processed foods and avoid certain food if you have ADHD and I guess this comes back to the dopamine that we mentioned earlier right I'm curious to hear your thoughts on food inclusion because I know that you are 
evidence-based mm. you are food relationship body image where do you stand in terms of like food inclusion with ADHD yeah I think uh yeah I agree I'm definitely the inclusion camp over here um but uh, kind of what we spoke about with like the hobnobs really like what I would say is like instead of thinking about avoidance think about supported action which may look like managing your food environment basically so you know if you're going to be at home all all of the time with like ultra processed foods uh in the front of the cupboards then you that isn't like is that supportive not really so you know managing your food environment and having like ready to go sort of snacks waiting for you or like a combination of like batch food items that you can throw together just to again remove that barrier just to make it easier for the for you to create a meal of some sort um and you know remembering that no matter who you are eating a lot of ultra processed food isn't going to be helpful so remembering like you know go back to your values like well most people again not putting this on to people like most people value their health eating ultra processed foods like a lot of them daily is, is that supportive not really so to answer your question I don't I've, I've never said to my client please don't eat that don't do that don't do this don't do that I'm like okay what can we do to support this then that yeah. that's how I reframe it and and you know what when we when we start to um feel a little bit more let's say quote unquote in control um you're you're going to be making continuously supported actions um whether that's through movement through nutrition um so it's going to be a little bit harder for you to like you know want to always have x food which is ultra processed um and also there is a place for ultra processed foods if you think about like i don't subscribe to the narrative of like you know um the food uh what's the saying it's basically about um food isn't like a social thing like food is food it's like well no actually food does bring a lot to social um celebrations and it's it's to do with a lot of people's cultures as well so I think you know having that relationship of food where it's like you know we, we look at food every food serves a purpose I think so it's just working out like I need a bit more of this which is nutrient dense in my life to support my health and yeah of course I'm going to enjoy this as well um in a social situation or at home but like I say managing your food environment is probably if you're someone that kind of thinks that they're addicted to a certain food or shouldn't be having a certain food then maybe let's look at ways to support more nutrient dense foods in your diet rather than like avoiding that food so I've just rambled on about the same thing there but I hope you got my message <laughs> Absolutely. it's that like conscious competence to start with isn't it right that again we all need to some extent to then help with that subconscious competence and supporting that environment and I think I say this to a lot of my clients we miss we brush over like the the facets of health right we assume that health is just nutrition and exercise but actually environment plays into such a large part of that that multifaceted multi-dimensional puzzle of health and considering your home environment I think is is super duper important and if you say go to families and friends do you recommend talking to them about food environment and like food availability is that something that you chat to your clients about because I know the client in particular that is at the forefront of my mind and I said he's going through currently potential diagnosis of ADHD he finds it quite difficult when he goes to family family and friends and they're forever putting on like food within the environment and then pushing food do you think talking about this is something of benefit yeah I mean talking about anything and everything is always I think beneficial but it's really hard 
because everyone has their own sort of story and everyone has that story with their relatives and it's 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 very easy for me to say today yeah just talk to them about it no biggie like you know what as I said at the start of the podcast there's a lot of shame attached to this there's a lot of misinformation so they're gonna you know he's probably a bit scared of like oh no they're gonna think this of me that I'm you know blah 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 and I I don't know obviously I don't know this person but um I to answer your question I guess I, I would say yes and I think if you're going with someone as well like having that person where you know you've got a bit of a I don't know not a code but just like actually I need that support and I think asking for support isn't a weakness and I've just got used to asking for accommodations myself like you know um for me I, I struggle with certain um like auditory things and um like my my own understanding of things so but for me as an educator for me as a coach I feel a little bit if I'm honest sometimes awkwardness and shame around that because I feel like I should present myself as you know I don't struggle with this when actually I do and it's the same can be said with these things where you know you might be someone that like as a personal trainer who's into quote-unquote health and fitness but you may struggle with your relationship with food and it's just you know these open open conversations and actually being okay with asking for support and asking for accommodations um, and you know maybe having that conversation beforehand with whoever's hosting that celebration or party or whatever um it may be beneficial for you um but just yeah just think maybe again go back to experimenting this isn't going to be the final thing you're invited to in your life so maybe we go okay we try this today see what this works okay Hmm, that didn't really work that well okay note that down write it down gather information okay next time I'm going to try this and then you, you see what I mean you can start to like mold your um lifestyle so that you feel like you don't have to shut yourself away from the world um but instead you feel a bit more empowered when you step into sort of their world if you want to call it that yeah and I guess like uh, gathering feedback from every time that you go into these situations to build on your confidence to adapt going forward with actions and behaviors and boundaries of course that are gonna support you hugely and I think again just linking back everybody needs that to some extent given the world we live in right yeah exactly um, so if somebody is listening to this now and everything that you have said, which has been absolutely incredible, and they're considering their own behaviours, their own thoughts now, things that are going off in their head and like, oh, yeah, I, I resonate with what Steph said. I resonate with that. I resonate with that. And you mentioned the medical history of family. Where would you point people in the direction of a little bit more understanding? You mentioned the vast model to begin with. Is that where you'd point people to start like exploring potentially any autism ADHD that they may be maybe suffering I would say I'm a big believer of getting into a bit of a rabbit hole um (laughs) yes maybe not always on TikTok but still I'm (laughs) I'm definitely not going to badmouth TikTok today because it might this is the thing it stirs conversation right anyway um I would definitely look at like um leading uh, professionals in the field so people Russell Barkley is is a massive one he's got a lot of things on on like resource free resources online um dr edward hallowell he's got a book called driven to distraction um there's a uh, a book by oh, i think i can't remember her names 
Sarah Golden or something like that, but she's got a radical guide to women with ADHD. So read about it. Definitely speak to a healthcare professional and, you know, you might have different options in your area as well. Um, unfortunately, I mean, I think this is quite common knowledge, like there is a waiting list with diagnosis at the minute. And if you're, if you've got the luxury of going private and you want to, you know, have that answer and have that treatment, um, then if you're in that position, I would say go for it. Um, and like I said, uh, earlier about like gathering medical history uh, because these professionals might want to know a little bit more about certain people in the family uh, there is hereditary like there's a lot of things to consider basically with ADHD but if you're if you're on this sort of solo journey you don't have a coach you're on a waiting list and you're a bit lost I think the the theme of this podcast which I've absolutely loved by the way has been the word like curious and I think like let's get curious about ourselves we want to know our patterns uh we want to understand ourselves to be able to actually genuinely apply self-compassion the reason we apply self-compassion is because that actually leads us to change we can't hate ourselves into change we can't guilt ourselves into uh, change so some questions to ask yourself um and literally treat it as a little like exercise like write it down so like what emotions um are most common for you then ask yourself when and where do they cause problems for you? Uh, what do you frequently criticize yourself about or want to change? Then ask yourself, like, can I accept what's going on in a non-judgmental and curious way? Because when we're judgmental, we already have like a certain bias about our experience. So it's, you know, it's really hard to reframe a little bit like why I mentioned the VAST model earlier and the medical description of ADHD already holds like a negative bias, whereas VAST, it helps you reapproach the situation. Um, and then you can like try to you know view it from a bit more of a spacious perspective. And then with those answers, like highlight things, like what's coming up for you, what circle things that's quite repetitive. So maybe it's the feeling of frustration, and then you notice when it starts to happen, maybe it's in the evening and then look at why, what was the trigger for that? Is it because, you know, your pots aren't clean before you have to make the family meal and it's just like this one thing after another and it just feels so simple to the outside world, but for you every day it consumes you. And then what we do is we just unpick slowly and slowly and create one action. So if that's something that you can do, look at the pattern and look at one thing that you want to focus on first then just create one action to support that you are winning and that's what I would stress today is like it isn't um you know it isn't a sprint it's a marathon but genuinely like it's there's so much unconditioning we have to do and then so many little things that we want to apply every day but the worst thing that we can do is overcomplicate it with all the information that we've heard from everyone you know and I'll include myself in that like maybe what I've said today isn't going to be helpful for everybody out there but just that's why I'm stressing going back to yourself getting curious and experimenting with yourself because no one knows you better than you um and then you know like I say supporting yourself with one action can help you um yeah and like you know it gets you to know how your brain is wired which is important yeah, absolutely. And playing the tortoise in the race, 100%. I love that. Absolutely love that. And knowing that this is a journey that you're going to be on, that you can evolve yourself. Mm. And you can really flourish and blossom yourself and will support you with all of your relationships, your relationship with yourself, food, your body, those around you, so that you feel more confident in yourself and the execution and the understanding. Like I, like I said at the beginning, I genuinely love the understanding and the knowledge that we have about ourselves outside the realm of the fitness industry the dieting world 
like self-objectification, all of that that we've all been exposed to. If you can understand a little bit more about yourself, you've got a little bit more mental capacity for compassion. And I'm an, an advocate of that. You can leverage that as well. You can leverage that understanding and be like, oh yeah, I know that about myself. So this is what I'm going to do. And that's how I can help, you know, show up in the way I want to show up. Um, yeah, you said something that reminded me of something that's gone out of my head, but maybe it might come back to me, but yeah. No, absolutely. And I think just like you said then, being able to know a little bit more to support yourself is going to be the most important part of your journey and reframing what you potentially see as a failure at the minute as feedback to go forward to adapt to grow to grow yourself and know that actually life's giving you this amazing opportunity to learn right to learn about yourself and and learn about something that actually sounds pretty special like when you're saying all of these things and then how you're able to navigate yourself. I'm like, that's incredible to be able to do that, right? Whereas there is this this blanket label over it being negative. I think it's absolutely phenomenal when people are like, no, do you know what? I'm owning this and I'm working with this. This is amazing. Yeah. And I guess like what the fitness industry, in my opinion, gets wrong with ADHD is I believe they focus too much on like, like what are we eating? What are we training? Like it's too literal and it's too, it's looking in the, Yes, that that is helpful, but it it's looking, I would say, in the wrong areas first. What I do with clients is I look at their lifestyle before I look at, you know, eating a serving of protein at lunchtime. Like we we want to make sure we're doing some other things because they know this. Like this is again, it's where I feel like it can be quite insulting. They know the knowledge. Do you think, do you not think they they um they if they know that of course they would want to apply it but that's what they're struggling with the applying of what they know so that's I think for just for for people out there that maybe are PTs um what I would just say is just be be careful with that language and just have a a view of like taking a wider view on their lifestyle first to then zoom in onto their day-to-day I think that's really genuinely quite helpful but that's obviously just from my own experience and my um, understanding so everyone is different and again, I think with every client, right? Like it's not always just about calories and exercise, just saying. Yeah, just saying. <laughs> well, that was absolutely amazing, Steph. Thank you so much. So again, where can people find you? Because your Instagram is amazing and has got so much information out there. You have no idea with that face, right? Well, what is my Instagram handle? <laughs> or if anybody has any questions, where can they where can they find you? um so you can find me on instagram at steph underscore etphd coaching and also which i've not announced on podcast yet i'm um, launching a uh what would you call it a community or a, a kind of educating space called herself haven uh, which is going to be targeting the younger audience with similar things that i coach but it's more of like an education platform so if you are interested in supporting a community with body image disorder eating adhd um, and you want something kind of you know individual to your workplace or to your you know maybe you're a parent wanting to support a teenager um that's somewhere else that you can find me and i can help you Oh, I love that. That's amazing because it is on the increase as well with children, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. So is that on Instagram, Herself Haven? Uh, yeah. So at herself.haven, which is um, hopefully going to start moving in December. She said. <laughs> 
I'm giving myself a deadline. I'm just procrastinating, you know? I just need to just get on with it now. <laughs> I would do it really well in this weather, let me tell you. It's procrastination yeah. weather. It is, isn't it? Absolutely oh. is. No, that's incredible. Oh my gosh, amazing. Good luck with that. That'll be phenomenal. Well, thank you so much again, Steph. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.